Hello, and welcome to the reading of the Iowa Capital Dispatch for November 10th, 2023. I'm your reader, Stephen Kaiser. Ag and Environment, Capital Clicks. Game Bird Farm in Kosuth County has avian flu. By Jared Strong, November 7th, 2023. A Kosuth County farm with pheasants, peafowl, and egg-laying hens is the ninth site in Iowa this fall to be affected by a quick-spreading avian influenza, according to the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship. The virus was recently detected at a farm with about 8,400 game bird pheasants, 160 commercial layer chickens, and 16 peafowl. Entire flocks are culled to prevent the spread of the disease. Highly pathogenic avian influenza is often transmitted by migrating birds, which can be asymptomatic. The virus is often deadly for domestic birds. The nine affected Iowa flocks this fall had a total of about 170,000 birds. Detections this year have been more frequent than fall 2022, but total birds have been much smaller because the virus is not found in a large egg-laying facility. About 2.5 million birds were culled in Iowa last fall. The other detections this fall include November 3rd, a commercial chicken breeding facility in Hamilton County with about 15,000 birds. November 3rd, a duck farm with a backyard mixed species flock in Clay County with about 7,361 birds. November 3rd, a duck farm in Clay County with about 8,270 birds. November 3rd, a duck farm in Clay County with about 1,700 birds. October 31st, a commercial turkey flock in Buena Vista County with about 30,000 birds. October 23rd, a commercial turkey flock in Pocahontas County with about 47,500 birds. October 23rd, a backyard flock in Guthrie County with about 50 birds. October 20th, a commercial turkey flock in Buena Vista County with about 50,000 birds. Ag and Environment, Capital Clicks. New federal rule seeks to curb, quote, deceptive practices, end quote, in poultry production. By Jared Strong, November 8, 2023. Federal ag officials are poised to enact new disclosure requirements for the poultry industry to give chicken growers a better understanding of their potential profits. The changes are meant to address some long-standing complaints by farmers who are contracted by large companies to grow chickens for meat. U.S. Department of Agriculture officials said Wednesday. Most often, the companies are meat processors that pay farmers to grow their chickens. The companies provide the chicks, feed, and medicines, and the farmers provide the facilities and labor to raise them until the birds are ready for slaughter. The farmers are often compensated based on how efficiently they produce meat compared with other farmers contracted by the companies. And many farmers have complained to the U.S. Department of Agriculture for more than a decade that the companies have too much leverage in the arrangements and too little accountability, department officials said. That can result in farmers making less than expected profits while being saddled with debt for constructing or upgrading their facilities. Quote, it's high time that poultry growers get the benefit of robust transparency, upfront and ongoing, to clean up the broiler chicken market of deceptive practices, said Andy Green, a USDA Senior Advisor for Fair and Competitive Markets. The department announced on Wednesday the first in a series of new requirements 
that are a result of President Joe Biden's executive order in 2021 to increase competition in the country's economy. The new regulations require large live poultry dealers to disclose to farmers the earnings of their contracted growers. The dealers must also describe how they handle flock losses associated with disease and natural disasters, shortages of food, and farmer complaints about food quality. The new regulations require dealers to guarantee a minimum number of flock placements with the farmers per year and to specify the sizes of those flocks. Broiler chickens mature in about two months. Dealers that slaughter less than 2 million pounds of live broilers weekly, or 104 million pounds annually, are exempt. Quote, it's fair to say that, for many, many years, we've heard concerns from poultry growers as to whether or not the contracting and tournament system that they are engaged in provides a level of fairness and transparency, U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack said Wednesday during a news conference. He said the new regulations are being imposed under the Packers and Stockyards Act of 1921, the purpose of which is to protect farmers from unfair and monopolistic practices. They are expected to go into effect in late January. Consolidation in the meatpacking industry gained renewed focus during the coronavirus pandemic, when large processing facilities were forced to temporarily close and some livestock producers had nowhere to sell their animals. Federal officials have said that a handful of large companies control about 85% of the beef market, 70% of the pork, and more than 50% of the chicken. Ag and Environment Capital Clicks Feds Increase Expected Corn Yield for Iowa as Harvest Nears Completion By Jared Strong, November 9, 2023 Corn yields in Iowa are projected to average about 200 bushels per acre, and overall corn production in the United States this year might set a record, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The USDA's average yield prediction for Iowa on Thursday is an increase of one bushel per acre from its figure a month ago, when about a third of the state's corn had been harvested. About 89% of the crop had been harvested as of Sunday. The yield prediction would match the state's corn yields last year, but would be short of the 204 bushel per acre record set in 2021. If the predictions hold true, Iowa farmers will produce more than 2.5 billion bushels of corn for grain, the most of any state. That's higher than the state's production last year because corn has been planted on more acres. Across the country, farmers planted about 10% more acres of corn this year compared with 2022 and total production is predicted to reach 15.2 billion bushels, a new record that surpasses the previous highs of about 15.1 billion bushels in 2016 and 2021. Iowa's soybean yields are expected to average 58 bushels per acre, a figure that is unchanged from a month ago. That is shy of last year's 58.5 bushels per acre and the 2021 record of 63. Iowa farmers are projected to produce more than 570 million bushels of soybeans, the second most of any state. The USDA predicts Illinois will produce nearly 630 million bushels. That state is expected to have higher average soybean yields and planted more soybean acres. Ag and Environment Carbon Pipeline Summit Permit Decision in Iowa Not Expected Until Next Year By Jared Strong, November 9, 2023
A months-long evidentiary hearing for Summit Carbon Solutions Pipeline Permit in Iowa concluded this week with the final remaining testimony of landowners in the path of the company's project. That sets the stage for the Iowa Utilities Board to make a decision about whether to grant the company a hazardous liquid pipeline permit, grant it with modifications to the company's proposal, or deny it. State law does not dictate when that decision must be made, but those who are participating in the proceedings will have an opportunity to submit substantial written arguments based on the evidence gathered during the hearing. The board has indicated that those written briefs of up to 150 pages in length will be due six weeks after transcripts of the full hearing are available. Quote, we don't know exactly when it's going to be due, but it will probably be about the middle of January, said Wally Taylor, an attorney for the Sierra Club of Iowa, which opposes the project. There is expected to be further three-week window in which participants can submit replies to those briefs. Summit's permit request in Iowa is part of a five-state plan to transport captured carbon dioxide from ethanol plants to North Dakota for underground sequestration. More than 680 miles of its proposed pipeline system would be laid in Iowa. The company had sought an IUB decision by the end of the year, but its evidentiary hearing went much longer than the company and the board had planned. It began August 22nd and was anticipated to conclude by the end of September but testimony stretched into October and led to a month-long pause due to scheduling conflicts. The hearing resumed this week and ended Wednesday. Rather than lasting six weeks, the hearing concluded about 11 weeks after it began. The company heralded its conclusion as, quote, a significant event in the progress of the transformative pipeline project, end quote. Quote, the project stands as a testament to Summit's commitment to creating new opportunities for farmers strengthening existing agricultural markets, and ensuring the sustained success of the ethanol industry, the company said Thursday. What's at stake? The more than $5 billion project would span about 2,000 miles and is meant to collect generous federal tax credits for sequestering carbon dioxide and for the production of low-carbon fuels. The company has profit-sharing agreements with more than 30 ethanol producers, which would also be able to sell their fuels in new markets. Ethanol producers that are able to sequester the carbon dioxide they would otherwise emit into the atmosphere have the potential to more than triple their profits, according to a study commissioned by the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association, which advocates for policies that benefit the ethanol industry. However, it's unclear how much ethanol plants will benefit by connecting to someone's proposed system because their agreements have been shielded from public view. Those who oppose the project argue it's improper for Summit to use eminent domain to obtain land easements from unwilling landowners because the project doesn't benefit the public in a similar fashion as natural gas pipelines, electricity transmission lines, or highways. Summit has said its project benefits the public by reducing greenhouse gas emissions and by boosting the ethanol industry which is an important market for Iowa corn. More than half of the state's corn is used to produce the fuel. The company said it has signed easement agreements for about three quarters of its route in Iowa. The easements allow Summit to build and operate the pipeline on land it doesn't own. Landowners who oppose the project also worry about long-term damage to their farmland and underground tiling that might result from pipeline construction. They're further concerned about pipeline ruptures that could endanger people and animals.
project delays. Summit had initially planned to have its pipeline system in operation sometime in 2024. Although the permit process in Iowa is expected to extend into next year, the delay is overshadowed by the company's setbacks in North and South Dakota. Both states denied Summit's initial permit applications. North Dakota is in the process of reconsidering the company's proposal with modifications, but there are no deadlines for that process to complete. Summit has indicated it will reapply for a permit to build its pipeline through South Dakota, but it has declined to say when that will happen. The permit process in that state typically takes no more than a year. After those setbacks, the company announced in October that the pipeline system will not be operational until early 2026. Justice. Lawyer reprimanded for revealing identity of confidential informant. Court says former magistrate, quote, put the CI's life at risk. By Clark Coffin, November 8, 2023. A former court magistrate has been given a public reprimand for revealing the identity of a confidential informant and placing the individual's life at risk. Iowa City Attorney Teresa J. Seberger, who once served as a judicial magistrate presiding over cases in Cedar County, has been publicly reprimanded by the Iowa Supreme Court's Attorney Disciplinary Board. She said Wednesday she has now relinquished her Iowa law license. The board alleges that in January 2022, Seeberger was representing clients in two separate criminal matters. A woman identified in board records as A.H., who was charged with possession of methamphetamine, and A.H.'s male paramour identified as S.N., who was charged with selling methamphetamine to a confidential informant for law enforcement. Three days after a prosecutor in S.N.'s case allowed Seeberger, but not S.N., to hear a recording of the alleged drug sales, A.H. called her boyfriend, S.N., from jail and reported that she had talked to Seeberger, who told her of the recording. A.H. then told S.N. the name of the confidential informant in his case, adding that Seeberger had made her, quote, swear to secrecy not to tell anybody, end quote. The phone call from the jail was recorded and was provided to a prosecutor who then filed a complaint with the attorney disciplinary board. According to the board, A.H. told S.N. during the call, quote, Teresa came to see me, ellipses. I know who it is. She told me, ellipses, it's, parenthetically, informant's name, ellipses. She had to know I was going to tell you, end quote. Seeberger told the board she had permission from both clients to discuss their cases, but that she didn't wittingly identify the C.I. or confidential informant in S.N.'s case. She alleged that in her meeting with A.H., she told the woman she had heard the recording of the drug sales and that she had described for H. the, quote, distinctive aspects, end quote, of the informant's voice, cautioning her, quote, half jokingly and half seriously, end quote, that if a man with a distinctive voice tried to buy meth from her, she shouldn't agree to the sale. Seeberger told the board that A.H. then correctly named the informant, telling her, quote, that's my cousin, end quote. In her statement to the board, Seeberger stated, quote, I should have lied and said she was wrong, but instead I said words to the effect of, so, quote, I don't know that and you don't know that, end quotes. She acknowledged she did ask A.H. to tell no one about the matter and that A.H. relayed the information to S.N. anyway. In reviewing the matter, the board concluded Seeberger had, quote, put the C.I.'s life at risk, end quote, 
since SN was not incarcerated and, quote, could have easily harassed, intimidated, or physically harmed, end quote, the informant. Quote, you could have simply advised your client not to buy drugs from anyone, the board stated. Instead, you gave enough information about the CI for your client to figure out who it was. You then attempted to forbid AH to tell anyone. Disclosing the name of a CI can have dire, even dangerous, consequences, end quote. According to board records, Seeberger was privately admonished in 2011 for speaking to a group of jurors who had found one of her clients guilty. In 2015, she was privately admonished for sending a Facebook message directly to an individual she knew was represented by legal counsel. Seeberger served on Iowa City's Community Police Review Board from July 2021 through January 2022. Other Attorney Discipline Cases Other Iowa attorneys who have been sanctioned in recent weeks include Raymond Monsolillo, an Iowa licensed attorney who also practices in New York, Colorado, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. In January 1999, Mansolillo left a job with the Federal Drug Enforcement Agency and filed an occupational disease claim stemming from post-traumatic stress disorder and depression that he said was tied to his role in DEA operations in South America. In 2002, he began collecting wage loss compensation under the Federal Employees' Compensation Act. In 2005, Mansolillo began practicing law in Massachusetts. He allegedly continued to collect wage loss benefits by knowingly misrepresenting his earnings in periodic statements filed with the government. In all, he allegedly collected $351,057 he wasn't entitled to receive. Mansolillo's license to practice in Massachusetts was then suspended for two months. In response to a proposed similar suspension of his Iowa license, Mansolillo argued the payments he collected were part of a, quote, personal-slash-family financial matter, end quote, that resulted in a finding that he was at fault, adding that this was civil or administrative finding and that, quote, there was no fraud, end quote, committed. He noted that he had already reimbursed the government a quarter of a million dollars. The Iowa Supreme Court imposed a 60-day suspension of Mansolillo's license, effective October 6, 2023. Adam Kerwald an Iowa licensed attorney who also practices in South Dakota. In June 2021, Carewold's Iowa license was suspended due to a disability, then reinstated in December 2022. In July 2023, the Attorney Disciplinary Board initiated disciplinary proceedings, saying he had apparently, quote, experienced a relapse of his alcoholism, end quote, and was incarcerated in South Dakota on unspecified criminal charges. The court recently suspended Carewold's Iowa license for a second time, noting that he can apply for reinstatement after showing he is no longer disabled and is qualified to practice law. J. Rosenberg, an Iowa licensed attorney who is also authorized to practice law in 13 other states. In Virginia, he was accused last year of providing legal services without a license, with his practice focused on high-volume, low-cost services related to real estate transactions. Rosenberg had, allegedly sub <laughs> Rosenberg had allegedly subcontracted the task of preparing thousands of real estate deeds to an outfit based in India. The deeds allegedly contained substantive errors that were not reviewed or corrected by a Virginia licensed attorney before being delivered to clients. As a result of the allegations, Rosenberg consented to an order barring him from admission to the Virginia bar. The Iowa Supreme Court has revoked Rosenberg's Iowa law license.
Government and Politics, Healthcare, Justice. Iowa Attorney General Files State's Argument for Six-Week Abortion Law by Robin Opsel, November 8, 2023. Iowa Attorney General Brenna Byrd filed the state's legal argument to the state Supreme Court on Wednesday, seeking to uphold a law that would ban most abortions after six weeks. The law has been under an injunction since July three days after Governor Kim Reynolds signed it into law. The Iowa Supreme Court plans to hear the appeal. The Republican Attorney General argues in the brief that the challenge by Planned Parenthood North Central States, the Emma Goldman Clinic, and the ACLU of Iowa should be rejected as it relies on the legal test rejected by the U.S. Supreme Court in the 2022 Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization decision. Byrd also argues, quote, Abortion providers cannot sue at all, given that there's no constitutional right to provide abortions, according to a news release. Byrd said she was committed to making Iowa's abortion law enforceable as soon as possible. The so-called, quote, heartbeat, end quote, law would ban most abortions as soon as embryonic cardiac activity is detected, typically after six weeks of gestation. The law contains limited exceptions for rape, incest, and to save the life of the pregnant patient. Quote, we know that every moment counts when it comes to protecting the unborn, and we are working diligently to ensure the heartbeat law is upheld, Bird said in a statement. I'm confident that the law is on our side, and we will continue fighting to defend the right to life in court. The state's highest court in a June decision let an injunction stand for a nearly identical law approved in 2018. Reynolds had asked the court to lift the injunction. Justice Thomas D. Waterman wrote for the majority that the 2018 abortion law was passed by lawmakers during a time when its restrictions were unconstitutional under state and federal precedents. However, he wrote, the law could be upheld if passed again now that the U.S. and state Supreme Courts have found there was no constitutional right to an abortion. Within six weeks of the decision, Reynolds convened the Iowa legislature for a one-day special session to pass the six-week abortion ban legislation again. She signed the law July 14th. The new law was immediately challenged, and a Polk County District judge issued an injunction on the law three days after Reynolds' signing. In a news release Wednesday, Reynolds called for the Iowa Supreme Court to allow enforcement of the law, saying the injunction on Iowa's abortion ban, quote, has already led to the innocent deaths of children, end quote. Quote, it needs to end, she said. Every life is valuable and worth our state's protection, no matter what stage of life they are in, end quote. She also argued that the law is supported by Iowans, saying the people of Iowa and lawmakers, quote, have spoken clearly and by a wider margin than before, end quote, by passing the law again in the special session. But Democrats and reproductive rights advocates say the law is not supported by Iowans, calling for the court to keep the injunction in place. Quote, Today's legal filing and statements from the governor and attorney general show once again how extreme anti-choice politicians are out of touch with the will of Iowa voters. State Senator Sarah Trone Garriott, Democrat, West Des Moines, said in a news release. In a Des Moines Register Mediacom Iowa poll taken in March, 61% of Iowans said abortion should be legal in all or most cases. An October Iowa poll of likely Republican caucusgoers found less than half of respondents, 41%, say abortion restrictions are extremely important to them, headed into the 2024 election season.
but more than half disagreed with former President Donald Trump, calling a six-week ban a, quote, terrible mistake. Civil Rights and Immigration, D.C. Bureau, Education, Government, and Politics. U.S. House panel examines free speech on college campuses as tensions rise over Israel. University of Iowa student testifies that conservatives face harassment. By Samantha Dietl, November 8, 2023, Washington. U.S. lawmakers debated the freedom of speech of students on college campuses during a committee hearing Wednesday. The Republican-led House Judiciary Committee held the hearing amid a rise of anti-Semitism on college campuses following Hamas attacks on Israel. Many Jewish students and others showing support for Israel have been targets of violence since October 7th. Muslims in the U.S. have also reported being the targets of violence and bias, but the hearing mostly focused on Jewish and conservative students. Protesters in support of Palestinians repeatedly interrupted witness testimonies and were removed from the hearing room. The protesters called for a ceasefire in Gaza and the liberation of Palestinians who were under Hamas occupation. Democratic committee members and a witness advocated for greater funding for the U.S. Department of Education Office for Civil Rights, as well as diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Quote, Without these important resources, students will continue to live in fear of harm, said U.S. Representative Lucy McBath, a Georgia Democrat. The DOE's Office for Civil Rights is primarily responsible for, quote, combating anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, and other forms of discrimination in higher education, said U.S. Representative Hank Johnson, a Georgia Democrat. He said the office, quote, needs sufficient funding, end quote, to carry out its mission. He referenced the Biden administration's request for a 27% increase in funding for the Office of Civil Rights. Quote, every student, including students of Jewish, Israeli, Muslim, or Arab backgrounds, deserves a safe college learning environment free from threats of violence and discrimination, Johnson said. On the other hand, Republicans voiced skepticism about whether DEI programs and this increase in funding would reduce violence on college campuses. U.S. Representative Thomas Tiffany, a Wisconsin Republican, said that, quote, as we put more federal dollars, end quote, into these programs, there is, quote, more intolerance. The panelists and committee members also discussed to what extent hate speech is protected. Anti-Semitism on college campuses. Amanda Silberstein, a Cornell University student and Shabbat Cornell board member, testified about her experiences as a Jewish student living in fear of anti-Semitism on her campus. Cornell University canceled classes November 3rd, following a series of anti-Semitic threats posted to an online discussion board. Silberstein said her family members and close friends who live in Israel, quote, in an active war zone, end quote, call her daily to check whether she is safe on her college campus. Quote, speech advocating for violence should not be tolerated on college campuses, Silberstein said. She said that being discriminated against or viewed differently by her peers for being Jewish crosses her mind multiple times a day. Quote, we are resilient. We are perseverant. And we will not stop shouting out and voicing our concerns and voicing our fears until it is dealt with, Silverstein said. Conservative Viewpoints on College Campuses University of Iowa student Jasmine Jordan, who is the chairwoman of Iowa Young Americans for Freedom, an activist organization for young conservatives, testified at the hearing. 
Jordan choked up when telling the committee about how her campus peers called her a Nazi and white supremacist due to the conservative guests her organization would host, including Kellyanne Conway, a member of the administration of former President Donald Trump. Quote, students who hold opposing views are often subjected to frequent violent threats and other forms of harassment with no accountability, Jordan said. About 100 University of Iowa students and community members held a pro-Palestine rally on Saturday, and more demonstrations are planned at college campuses around the state. Connor Ogredaziak, a recent graduate of the University of Buffalo and former chairman of University of Buffalo Young Americans for Freedom, testified about his own organization's experiences. Ogredaziak's Young Americans for Freedom organization faced threats and protests from students over speakers and invited to his campus, he said, bringing education and awareness to students. Kenneth Marcus, the founder and chairman of the Louis D. Brandeis Center for Human Rights Under Law, testified at the hearing. His organization is a nonprofit aiming to protect the rights of Jewish people. Marcus said education about the Holocaust is, quote, insufficient, end quote and that students additionally need more exposure to conversations about examples of anti-Semitism today. Other witnesses at the hearing included Stacey Burdett, the Vice President of Governmental Relations and Advocacy and Community Engagement at the Anti-Defamation League, and American University Professor Pamela Nadell, who is AU's Jewish Studies Program Director. Burdett said she supported increased funding for the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights. Burdett said this funding increase will help the office keep up with complaints. Burdett said Jewish people, quote, feel alienated, end quote, and, quote, alone. She also said Jewish people want, quote, support prevention, end quote, of violence and, quote, awareness building, end quote, in their communities. You are listening to the reading of the Iowa Capital Dispatch for November 10th, 2023 on IRIS the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Now let's continue with this week's stories. Election 2024. Government and Politics. Healthcare. Abortion rights victories cement 2024 playbook while opponents scramble for a new strategy. By Sophia Resnick, November 8, 2023. Anti-abortion leaders woke up Wednesday to the sobering reality that abortion rights remain the nation's predominant political issue. Decisive wins in swing and red states in two national election cycles since Roe v. Wade was overturned last year have given momentum to reproductive rights groups who aggressively campaigned and fundraised in key states across the country and intend to triple down for 2024. Meanwhile, the anti-abortion movement is scrambling for an effective 2024 strategy after crushing losses. Longtime anti-abortion activist, the Reverend Pat Mahoney, said in large part, Republicans have been ineffective communicators on the issue and were wildly outspent. Quote, I think for the pro-life movement, we have to now truly recognize when it comes to abortion bans, this is something that Americans do not want right now, Mahoney told State's Newsroom as he hustled to catch a connecting flight from Ohio, whose voters enshrined the right to abortion, home to Virginia, where Democratic candidates overtook the legislature after campaigns focused on abortion rights. Mahoney is currently Chief Strategy Officer for Stanton Public Policy Center, the political arm of Stanton Healthcare, a network of anti-abortion clinics headquartered in Idaho that offer limited reproductive health services. 
He said the anti-abortion movement needs to better coordinate a national messaging and fundraising strategy to be able to compete with the reproductive rights movement. Quote, right now, the pro-choice movement is more committed to funding in elections, the protection and promotion of abortion than the pro-life movement is committed to ending abortion violence and making abortion unthinkable, Mahoney said. I live in Virginia. The state is doing well. The economy is doing well, by all accounts. Glenn Youngkin is a relatively popular governor. Every ad I saw on television for every Democrat, I mean a barrage of them, was how MAGA Republicans or pro-life anti-choice activists want to take away women's rights. They were all about abortion. He said he was expecting Republican candidates to continue, quote, fumbling, end quote, the issue on the presidential debate stage in Miami Wednesday night. Quote, hardly any Republican has handled this well, he said. They've been all over the map. Marjorie Dannenfelser, president of Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, also urged the GOP, many of whose candidates tried to ignore the abortion issue or soften their stances, to, quote, wake up. Quote, the true lesson from last night's loss is that Democrats are going to make abortion front and center throughout the 2024 campaigns, Dannenfelser said in a statement. The GOP consultant class needs to wake up. Candidates must put money and messaging toward countering the Democrats' attacks, or they will lose every time. But anti-abortion leaders say they will not give up their mission and will continue pushing controversial policies like granting, quote, personhood, end quote, to embryos. Quote, voters overwhelmingly cast their ballots to enshrine abortion into the state constitution. This is a bitter pill, and there's no sugarcoating it. Americans United for Life interim president Kevin Tordoff said in an email to supporters, You and I know that constitutional justice, always and everywhere, means equal protection for all. We will continue, as we have since our founding in 1971, to strive for the day when all are welcome throughout life and protected in law. Let us continue to stand together in this mission. Activist Voters need to see graphic image of abortion victims. Anti-abortion movement leader Teresa Bukovinak, meanwhile, is calling for the anti-abortion movement to get more radical. She comes from the direct action wing of the movement that believes voters need to see graphic images of aborted fetuses in order to be moved on the issue. The self-described atheist and leftist used to work in animal rights activism in San Francisco before moving to Washington, D.C. She found progressive anti-abortion uprising one of the few anti-abortion groups that supports LGBTQ rights. Bukovinic is running for president as a Democrat with a targeted goal of airing campaign ads in key markets that show graphic images of fetuses she and other activists obtained outside of an abortion clinic in 2022. Quote, The reason that we oppose abortion rights amendments is because they're widening the scope of abortion into the third trimester for elective reasons, Bukovinic told the state's newsroom. And if we're not showing the victim, like non-stop, of abortion in these later trimesters, then we're not really communicating with people why we oppose these measures and why they should also. Bukovinek told State's Newsroom she is working to air her first ad in New Hampshire by the beginning of next year, but fundraising for her tiny campaign has been slow going. She said stations typically charge more for campaign ads that feature controversial content. Following Tuesday's losses, Bukovinic said Maryland Right to Life reached out to her to conference on strategies ahead of the state's upcoming abortion referendum. Quote, 
I think that they have to show the victims of abortion in an aggressive way, Bukovinik said, of anti-abortion groups. They need to say that abortion is murder. They need to be doing direct actions. I think those are the three most important things that we're going to be doing in the next however many years it takes to reach left on this issue. Reproductive Rights Organizers Abortion Matters to Voters Tuesday's results were equally instructive for abortion rights organizers in showing how effective abortion rights is as a voting issue. Ohio organizers in particular faced many obstacles led by state Republican leaders in trying to get even their initiative on the ballot. Despite what activists said was misleading text on the ballot, the measure carried 57%, including 18% of Republican voters. Quote, looking at the results in Ohio, Virginia, Kentucky, and Pennsylvania, it is pretty clear that abortion matters to voters because it matters to people in their everyday lives, said Angela vasquez Giro, Vice President of Communications and Research of Reproductive Freedom for All, an abortion rights lobbying group formerly called NARAL, Pro-Choice America. And when I think, when you look down the road to 2024 and you see places like Florida, that gives you a sense of what's possible. Even where you have hostile legislatures and gerrymandering and all of the structural inequities stacked against you, you can still make big changes when you get the power back to voters, end quote. Since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in June 2022, 21 states have eliminated or restricted access because of abortion bans. And as state's newsroom has reported, even with health exceptions, and especially without them, Women have been denied medical care during pregnancy-related emergencies. Quote, Voters understand that life is not these one-size-fits-all bans, Vasquez Garo said. They don't account for how complex pregnancy and life are. People understand that you can't legislate a belief system into a medical procedure and expect that nothing bad is going to happen. A sample of reproductive rights wins from Tuesday night. Kentucky. Democratic Governor Andy Beshear won re-election. Challenger Republican Attorney General Danielle Cameron had also made abortion a huge focus of his campaign and gave voters varying answers on whether he would support exceptions to Kentucky's near-total abortion ban in cases of incest and rape. New Jersey With every legislative seat up for grabs Tuesday, Democrats retained control of both houses after Republicans had dismissed their strategy to focus on reproductive rights over issues like state spending and crime rates. Ohio. A win for Issue 1 means the state's constitution will now guarantee the right to abortion through viability, parenthetically, and beyond for medical emergencies, and parenthetical, as well as the right to birth control, childbirth, fertility treatment, and miscarriage management. The win means a blocked six-week abortion ban currently under review by the courts will likely be struck down. And it marks the seventh state to affirm reproductive rights on the ballot since Roe v. Wade was overturned. Pennsylvania Democrat Daniel McCaffrey won a seat on the liberal-leaning Pennsylvania Supreme Court and marked the second time that reproductive freedom for all endorsed in a judicial race. Virginia Democrats winning both state houses means Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin is unlikely to push through the abortion ban he championed this election cycle. For now, the state remains one of the few abortion access points in the South. Vasquez Garo said Reproductive Freedom for All will continue to support local reproductive rights groups with their ballot measures and state and local elections, and will help to coordinate strategy at the national level.
Quote, no matter how you apply abortion as an issue in elections, it's successful because people understand exactly what's at stake. Your ability to live in a place where it's safe to become pregnant. It's a pretty big deal, Vasquez Garo said. Folks understand that it means that you have to protect it at every opportunity. Ellipses. I think we can expect to see repeats of last night and 2022 in 2024. Education, Government, and Politics Regents panel calls for dropping university DEI activities not tied to compliance accreditation. By Brooklyn Dracy, November 7, 2023. A state Board of Regents study group tasked with reviewing each of the three Regent universities' diversity, equity, and inclusion programs recommends changing or eliminating, quote, unnecessary, end quote, DEI functions and responsibilities. The Regents will discuss the survey and the study group's recommendations at its November 15th through 16th meeting at the University of Northern Iowa. Board President Mike Richards appointed a study group comprised of Regents David Barker, Jim Lindenmayer, and Greta Rouse to investigate the university's initiatives and programs relating to diversity, equity, and inclusion. These efforts were reviewed, according to the report, to determine the extent of which they sustain the institution's mission of delivering a high-quality education that is accessible to all Iowans, are required to keep legal or compliance obligations, and whether they should be reduced or eliminated. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds in June signed Senate File 560 into law, directing the board to review the state's public universities and conduct a comprehensive DEI study. Included in the report are 10 recommendations made by the group after working with campus leaders to learn about areas including human resources, academic affairs, and faculty and staff governance, and receiving responses from a feedback form open to the public. Recommendations. The group's 10 recommendations were broken into four categories, current structure of DEI and compliance functions, human resources, academic and curricular matters, and free speech and related matters. DEI Central Offices. The group recommended eliminating any DEI functions within university DEI Central Offices that aren't necessary for compliance or accreditation and to ensure that all support services are available to all students or employees, accounting for state and federal eligibility requirements. Quote, the study group recognizes that in some instances, these offices might perform functions necessary to assure compliance with state and federal laws, grant and contract requirements, or accreditation, the report said. However, the study group is unable to conclude that all the programming, training, and services provided by these units are necessary for one of these purposes. DEI Centralized Positions The study recommends a review of all decentralized DEI positions in various departments and units to ascertain whether their DEI-specific job duties are necessary for compliance, accreditation, or student support services, and to adjust or eliminate any unnecessary responsibilities. According to the report, the University of Iowa's Office of Multicultural and International Student Support and Engagement, University of Northern Iowa's Center for Multicultural Education, and Iowa State University's Office of Multicultural Student Affairs, each have statements or promotional materials that could be perceived as barring certain groups of students from participating in their programming. Support Services The report recommends that universities review services provided by, quote, Offices currently supporting diversity or multicultural affairs in other divisions of the university, end quote, 
To confirm they are available to any student and to update materials and websites to make clear that their mission is to, quote, support success broadly, end quote, according to the report. Quote, the study group agrees that staff in decentralized units and the multicultural centers offer some important services that support student success, although better efforts can be made to assure that students understand that all are welcome, the report said. Personal Pronouns, DEI Statements The group recommended ensuring that no one affiliated with the universities would be, quote, compelled, end quote, to share their pronouns. Also, no one would be required to submit a DEI statement or be evaluated based on their participation in DEI programming, unless required for accreditation or compliance. In the group's investigation, the report stated it found no evidence of quotas in hiring based on protective class or other employee practices. Quote, the study group found no evidence of any official university policies requiring applicants or employees to submit a written DEI statement. However, in practice, some individual departments were occasionally imposing such requirements as part of the hiring process, the report said. Admissions Policy The group recommended restricting consideration of race, sex, and other protected characteristics in admissions. The Regent Universities use the Regent Admission Index, which does not bring protected characteristics into account. While the University of Iowa has removed all race and ethnicity fields from being viewed on applications by admissions, the Iowa State University and the University of Northern Iowa both affirmed to the study group that protected characteristics were not considered in admissions to graduate and professional programs. The study group recommends a board policy prohibiting consideration of protected characteristics in admissions. Update Core Category Names The panel recommended reviewing general education core categories relating to DEI and updating their names to better reflect the offerings of various classes available for students. At Iowa State University, students must take one class in the U.S. Diversity Core Area, which includes 94 courses, some not relating to DEI. The University of Iowa requires students to take one course out of 60 in the Diversity and Inclusion Area, some of which are not connected to DEI. University of Northern Iowa students must take two classes in the Human Condition Area, one each under the Domestic and Global Categories. Quote, to assure that students have a clear understanding of the purpose of this portion of the general education requirements, as well as the range of ways to meet that requirement, the study group proposes a recommendation to review and update the name of this category of courses, the report said. The last four recommendations pertain to free speech of employees and expanding diversity of thought and perspective. Employee Political Advocacy Noting that Iowa law prohibits the use of university resources for political activities, the group recommended issuing information annually to employees about the separation of political advocacy from university work. Recruit for diversity of viewpoints. According to the report, the group believes that more should be done to foster diversity of viewpoints on university campuses. Utilizing recruitment strategies that have been used to increase underrepresented minorities applying for jobs, the group recommended that universities explore ways to advance, quote, diversity of intellectual and philosophical perspectives in faculty and staff applicant pools. Explore civic education, freedom of expression studies. Following the trend of universities across the country establishing institutions or centers dedicated to civic education and freedom of expression, the group recommended that the universities develop proposals with costs for initiative with opportunities to explore studies in these areas. Statements that counter board policy. 
The report recommends that the board issue an annual reminder of policies that govern university websites pertaining to statements that may not be in compliance with board policy. One example listed in the report is of land acknowledgments, which typically identify native peoples whose land is now occupied by university facilities. Land acknowledgments vary in source and content between the universities, but, quote, may use language that suggests a position that might depart from a board position, the report states. Quote, feedback received in this process indicated that at times people on campus experience a, subquote, chilling effect, end quote, on their free speech rights due to not entirely agreeing with some content from DEI-related training or program, the report said. Improving the atmosphere for free, robust civil discourse is critical to the mission of the universities, but it requires thoughtful strategies and possibly access to additional resources to do that as well. What happens next? According to the report, after taking action, the Regents' Office and Universities will, quote, review and modify all relevant policies, practices, and procedures to assure consistency with any recommendations adopted by the Board. The group also suggested in the report that the University provide progress reports to the Board at its April 2024 meeting. In addition to comparing the Regent University's definitions of diversity, equity, and inclusion to peer institutions, which they deemed similarly broad, the study group also looked at recently enacted legislation in Florida and Texas, which bar federal and state funds from being spent on DEI activities and prohibit the creation or maintaining DEI offices, respectively. The report also includes information on each university's structure relating to DEI programs, diversity and inclusion requirements from college accreditors, and the criteria university programs must meet in order to receive grant funding and contracts. DEI Study Data the Regents received 8,425 responses to its feedback form, which was open to anyone in the public. More than half of respondents reported themselves as current faculty or staff, and just over 2,000 identified themselves as current students. The University of Iowa and Iowa State University were most represented in the study, with more than 3,000 respondents each affiliated with one of the universities. Just over 800 University of Northern Iowa-affiliated people responded to the form and around 850 of respondents were affiliated with the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics. The number of responses varied by question because not all respondents answered every question. About 5,500 respondents said they, quote, have experience with or knowledge of mandatory programs, trainings, or activities for students or employees that address diversity, equity, and inclusion at one of the universities, end quote, compared to the about 2,900 who answered no. Just under 3,300 people responded to a question, but whether to their knowledge, the mandatory programming emphasizes a particular political stance or agenda, with about 2,600 responding, no. Just over 5,100 people acknowledged knowing about or having experience with optional DEI trainings. About 80% of those respondents said there is no evidence of a specific political agenda or position being emphasized. More than half of just under 6,000 respondents found that it is, quote, critically important, end quote, to offer optional DEI training and programming to university students, staff, and faculty, and more than 2,000 responded the same for the general public. About 1,000 thought optional training was, quote, not at all important, end quote, for each group. Respondents were also asked to label, on a scale from 1 to 5, whether they believe there is a need for policies limiting DEI programs and activities to the Regent Universities. Of about 5,700 responses, two-thirds responded that there is no need for limits on DEI activities and programming. 
just over 550 respondents indicated a slight need for policy limits, with a similar number responding that there is a critical need. Election 2024, Government and Politics Democrat Lannon Backham announces campaign for Iowa 3rd Congressional District by Robin Opsel, November 9, 2023. Democrat Lannon Backham, a former U.S. Department of Agriculture official and Biden campaign staffer, officially launched his run for Iowa's 3rd Congressional District Thursday. Backham, a Mount Pleasant native and son of Thai Dam refugees, announced his bid for Congress through a video. He said Iowans can sense that America is, quote, incredibly polarized, end quote. Quote, nowhere is that more true than the U.S. Congress, Backham said, and Zach Nunn is part of the problem. U.S. Representative Zach Nunn, a first-term Republican, currently holds Iowa's third congressional district seat. He defeated Democratic incumbent Cindy Axney in the 2022 midterms, an election in which Iowa Republicans won big, winning control of the full congressional delegation as well as all but one statewide elected position. But Backham said in his video that he believes Democrats can win back the seat. He called for supporters to help him, quote, bring this country back together and rebuild our communities, end quote. Quote, the last race was decided by just a few votes per precinct, Backham said. We can win, but only if you join us. Like none, Backham is a veteran. He joined the Iowa National Guard at age 17, and his unit was deployed after 9-11 to Afghanistan, where he served as a combat engineer. Following his time in the U.S. military, Backham worked in Iowa State Government on President Joe Biden's Iowa campaign team, and most recently for the USDA under U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack. Nunn's campaign released a statement Thursday saying they, quote, welcome Lennon back to Iowa from D.C., end quote, to join the race. Kendall Parker, Nunn's campaign manager, called Backham a career political operative for Democrats like Biden and Hillary Clinton. Quote, who will no doubt be a rubber stamp on their radical agenda he helped write, end quote. Quote, while he may want to be anointed the nominee by his powerful friends in D.C., I suspect Iowans will have other ideas, Parker said in a statement. And he'll first have to survive a growing primary, including other Democrats, Melissa Vine and Tracy Lyman. Melissa Vine and Tracy Lyman have filed paperwork for their candidacy in the 2024 congressional race, but have not yet officially announced their campaigns or reported fundraising. Backham's campaign announced endorsements from Vilsack, a former Iowa governor, and Iowa Auditor of State Rob Sand. Vilsack and his wife, Christy Vilsack, said Backham was a, quote, dear friend, end quote, who they have worked with for nearly two decades. Quote, Lannon is the type of public servant the state needs in Congress, and we are honored to support him in this race, the Vilsack said in a statement. The National Republican Congressional Committee released a statement criticizing Backham, suggesting he was National Democrats' fallback choice after other Iowans declined to run. Quote, Democrats were rejected by every conceivable Iowa Democrat like Cindy Axney, Teresa Greenfield, Deidre DeGere, and Sarah Trone Garriott. So they settled for D.C. Insider and Biden rubber stamp Lannon Backham, NRCC spokesperson Mike Marinella said in a statement. Clearly, no Democrat is willing to defend Bidenomics or the open-door border except for Joe Biden's own staffers like Lannon Backham. And that does it for today's reading of the Iowa Capitol Dispatch for November 10, 2023. I'm your reader, Stephen Gazier. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, anytime. Thanks for listening. <laughs>